late because I was obsessing on your music. I uh. I always go and just check out what everyone sends me and I usually love it, but I was obsessed and now I need to go find you on Spotify to make you a part of my playlist. Oh, that's so nice. Thank oh, you. <laughs> your video was so beautiful and the music oh, was thanks. amazing. So I'm talking, so is it Stefan or Steven or how do we Stefan actually. Stefan, thank you. Um, yes. You also surprised me because I don't know what your disorder is. I was looking it up and trying to figure it out and I was just getting super confused. So if we could start with what you have, that would be really helpful. Yes, um, it's called central sensitization syndrome. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a variety of things. It's sort of, it's sort of the last diagnosis they make when they've ruled everything else out. Um, as I'm sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Um, for, you know, I spent four years chasing a diagnosis, um, which I, I know for some people doesn't even seem that, like that long, but it sure felt like a long time. And um, it's basically characterized by uh, a propensity to hardwire injuries. Okay. So it's like phantom pain. Um, okay, now I got it. Yes. Um, wow. In the central oh. nervous system. Uh, but there, there's, it's also characterized by... Um, sorry, I'm getting a little delay on my end. <laughs> no worries. I, Zoom was supposed to be the answer to Skype. And um, uh, somehow we will all figure out a way to be able to talk around the world. It will happen. Can you, can you see my lips and everything? I can, and you're actually like syncing up perfectly. So okay, so I'll just... Just talk. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so it's also characterized by sensitivity to light and sound and touch and temperature. So it's, they think it's mainly, um, derived from, or not derived, but based in, uh, trauma. Okay. Often several decades before, but it can, I guess it can be sooner. That seems desperately unfair. What was the trauma that you experienced that started this all off? This was a 22, is that right? That this all yes. started? Yes. So, so I actually have hydrocephalus, which is a um, brain disorder. Um, it sounds like a Greek myth. That sounds like <laughs> some sort of like creature waiting in a cave. <laughs> what is hydrocephalus? Um, hydrocephalus, um, the brain fluid doesn't flow properly through the, Boy, the brain. Okay. So it, there's a blockage. So I have a shunt um, in my skull and um, it basically pulls the brain fluid down to my abdomen because there's just too much of it in my skull. So it pushes up against my brain if I don't have this valve. So, so I'm going to have you explain what that's like because I, I've had some spinal fluid issues before, which I would put on a level of hell that all the rest of my disorders can't even come near. So can you explain what some of your symptoms were for, for having this issue with brain fluid? Well, I mean, it's, it can be fatal if you don't catch it. So it's the type of thing where, like I was born with it, it's congenital, um, and they had to fix it, you know, several days after I was born. Oh, okay, so this wasn't like you were a teenager and you had to get a shunt put in. This was right from birth. Mm-hmm, oh. but I had eight malfunctions, so I had to have revisions every time. Did this change how you were as a child? Did, were there certain things you weren't supposed to do or things that you were supposed to watch out for? I got super lucky. My mom, I guess, was sick um, after she gave birth. So I guess they kept me in the hospital longer um, as well. And so they saw that I was not acting normal and discovered this condition and were able to fix it really quickly. But the side effects that can come with it can be really brutal. Uh, spina bifida, um, a lot of really detrimental learning disabilities. Um, I mean, everything from ADHD to tinnitus. Uh, <laughs> but I really lucked out and didn't have to deal with a lot of those problems because they caught it so quickly. Well, and so at the brain shunt, was there like um, 
with some of the things that you have put in, sometimes you're not supposed to do things as a kid, like you're not supposed to run or jump, or you just allowed like to be a kid? I mean, no contact sports, but that was pretty <laughs> much the only limitation. And then like, wear a helmet when you go bike. <laughs> but <laughs> that's well, everyone, sense. everyone, wear yes, a helmet. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a big There's proponent. <laughs> but no football, which... No. Okay, well... Which, which uh, disappointed me for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, there's other things. Like, no football for me. I was like, oh, darn. That's <laughs> terrible. And no, no shade anyone who loves football. I just, yes, am, yes. I'm a selfish mom who makes to give up my Saturdays. <laughs> and I also don't like to watch my children getting thrown. So it's, uh, it was a win-win for us. <laughs> yes. yes. So it did not start affecting you until 22. Is that... You lived well, a normal, healthy-ish sort of existence. That's when the global stuff happened. Um, I mean, I would get, I kept, it started off with tendonitis in my arms and it never, the pain from that never went away. When um, did that start? That's 22. Yeah, and that's brutal for a musician. I, right. But it's usually like a lot of guitarists have it, you know, you and, and it, it usually goes away in like six to eight weeks. But mine just never went away. Um, and, you know, getting these MRIs and x-rays and all these different inflammatory tests done and everything comes back normal. Isn't that the most sinking feeling? I was like, Uh congratulations, you're the healthiest sick person we've ever met. (laughs) Yeah. I would get like post-traumatic stress every time I was going to get like results read to me. I just like start like, like armoring myself up for those appointments. It's rough, but then they do find stuff and they, and they inflate it and they try to treat it. Like I have a pretty mild, like primary immunodeficiency. So I, I went on immunoglobulin infusions for a year to see if that would help. What was that like? I mean, it's basically, it's like blood plasma. Um, and you just sit with for four hours and have it injected. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but some people who look at that and they're like four hours of peace there's other people like four hours of absolute tour <laughs> it really just sort of depends on where you are with your life and whether that's kind of like an upside of like forced downtime or like <laughs> or if it's just the worst idea ever <laughs> i watched some good movies you know <laughs> you had your playlist all set up <laughs> yeah exactly it wasn't so bad <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. My dad has to go for plasmapheresis. So I've sat with him for like those four to six hours just like watching mm-hmm. the blood go through. Yeah. The TV. <laughs> exactly. So from there, you were diagnosed with this, the tendinitis, but you, I'm trying to wrap my brain around like you had everything happen. Like this oversensitization. It sounds like your nerves just went to drama queen mode. Exactly. So, so then I, I got my tonsils out and the, and, the, and the pain in my throat never went away. And then I had a back injury and that pain never went away and knee injury. I actually also had a testicular operation and that gave me a chronic scrotal itch. So it's, it it's like oh. not okay. I mean, you can't no. get that in public unless you're like, yeah, there's just, unless you're elected office, I think there's like, nothing to do about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, we're recording this right now in the middle of a major news week, and um, I will try so hard not to lose my mind during this episode, but I think I have no fingernails. I've bitten them down to the core. Uh, well, uh, every week is a major news week in America, so. I, I think almost all of us are like um, <laughs> um, um, trying to focus on anything else, literally uh-huh. to try to keep our brains going. So I will make fun of Congress people today, please, but I will please. try to... Um, I'll try to keep this on the rails. <laughs> and all the rails was testicular itching. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's so, so just, frustrating. Yes. Uh, symptom after symptom, and they're just piling up, and none of them are going away. Um, and, you know, I went to 25 different specialists, and nobody could tell me what was wrong. I'm really hoping you had great insurance and that I you did. were not I on did. your own trying to pay for all of these. <sighs> no. Thank Thank God I was not. Um, I had amazing insurance, which was a total godsend. And I, I am forever thankful for that. Um, I'm just trying to think through like, you're this amazing, like really please, when you listen to this, go to the website or go to um, wherever our show notes are. Top is going to be a way to listen to Stefan's music because uh, creative, amazing, beautiful music. Um, 
Thank everything you. you're describing, I can't imagine, like, I'm a writer, I'm an illustrator, I can't imagine being creative with all of this, like, discomfort is a real thing, and it's hard to, like, push past, like, discomfort, itching, nausea, or, like, um, light issues and still be mm -hmm. creative. How are you able to, to push through? I mean, for probably two of those years, I really didn't. Wow. Um, what because, is an outlet then to like stay sane? Or uh, try to stay sane. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, a variety of things. You know, everything from movies to like downloading Grinder and having a lot of anonymous sex. <laughs> hey, that's an option too. I yeah. am, man, I am so jealous. That's a. <laughs> That is a fantastic option, which I never knew was a box that could be checked. Yes, exactly. Uh, which was also, you know, <laughs> challenging in and of itself with that, with, with like chronic pain in my arms and, you know, yeah. like scrotal issues. <laughs> <laughs> the scrotal itching would be made better through grinding. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, it felt like I had jock itch for about a year and a half every day. It was. Wow. Like a yeast infection, essentially. I am, okay, everyone who can possibly understand yeast infection, everyone just cringed. Anyone who doesn't understand extreme, desperately, desperately uncomfortable itching and yeah. awfulness, like sitting down, standing, all of it bad. Like Right. But so again, nothing to see. There was no test, nothing, uh, no, uh, you know, I had everybody examine it. <laughs> With Greg, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone got to examine it. <laughs> um, so I'm just trying to get my head around like how hard this is when all of it's invisible. Mm -hmm. Were you were you at least believed by the doctors? Were, did they understand, or were you sidelined with it? A little bit of both. Okay. I mean, they were just so so stumped, and I think some of them. You know, there's like an ego when you're a doctor and you want to believe that you can figure it out. And when you can't, it has to be the patient's fault. You know, yes, it can't we're be. We're so bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say I was believed mostly. I mean, it gave me a lot of sympathy for women and people of color in the medical world because I know that there's so many studies that say that doctors underestimate the symptoms that those people are telling them. And to have had that experience as a man, not a lot of men do because of our undeserved privilege, you know? I love that you call out that privilege. Um, and, you know, anyone who's listening, if you take over a look at our YouTube channel, you will see we are both pretty pale. So we both come from a, a place of privilege in this. And the studies are brutal in what people of color go through and how much misdiagnosis or undiagnosis that people of color go through when they go in for any sort of serious issue. So I'm really glad you called that out because that's um, that's definitely something that needs to be looked at very closely in our society. Absolutely. Um, but I'm really glad you did get people who actually took you seriously. With these yeah. I mean, it's um, it's so hard when it's invisible because some, like you said, so many doctors are with an ego trip. And if I'm repeating myself, everyone's going to have to forgive me. I'm on a unbelievable. A uh, Mitch McConnell has a coronary level of painkillers, so. <laughs> I'm a little loopy right now. Um, Stefan is having to carry most of this, so big thank you over there. But I just wanted to do a call out because I have a dislocated femur today, and I Ugh. didn't want to cancel this. So I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm so that. happy that that you, that you were able to do it. I really. Uh, yeah, our schedules are. We're on opposite sides of timelines, so we were trying to get this together for. I think it's been about two months we've been trying, or at least a month. And I'm like, oh, I cannot cancel this, but I'm going to be whiny. One, <laughs> so all you need. Oh, you're just going to have to carry a lot of this, and you, I'm sure, will be able to. Thank you. One of the things that you talked about in your um, in your questionnaire was you wanted to talk about how this affected your social life um, when you were starting to date, and you you touched on that with Grinder. I come from like a totally different 
world of this with chronic illness and dating and being female and, um, you know, cis female. And um, there's a lot on there about no casual sex. And there's a lot of stuff that was like, mm, that's going to be a judgment issue. And I'm just curious how that worked for you. Like how, how did that, was that for distraction? Did you find it hard to, did you want long-term relationships during this time? Did, or did you just want to like keep that side of it out? I mean, it was hard to, I did try to find a long-term partner, but yeah, it was difficult to, I mean, especially when you don't have a name for what you're going through. Yeah. <laughs> to try to describe it. And I mean, it was so existential. I mean, how how is a person supposed to react? When do I when do I tell them about what I'm going through? Oh my God, right? <laughs> that's, always, that's a big question I've even asked our dating experts. Like, when do you even bring this up? And no one has a good answer for that. I, I think it's probably case by case, but it's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> I mean, dating is, is absolutely trial and error. Yeah. I just always went with it because I was a single mom for a long time and I yeah. had the same role for my illnesses I had about like also being a single mom was that's just upfront. Like, and I found it easier in dating because it weeded people out so fast. Yeah. Like, just nope. Not willing to deal with kid thing. Not willing to deal with sick thing. Great. Thanks. Have a great one. It's been real. It seemed to make it so much simpler than all my friends who didn't have the extra things that they they didn't have That's those extra things, and so dating was harder to weed out the um, the others. <laughs> so for like as a twenty-two, I'm sorry, I'm old. Um, so twenty-two just sounds like. It's the cutest little shiniest face baby to me right now. Like that just sounds darling. I can barely remember it. And that was probably because 21 was such a fun year. And yeah, how, how did, um, I was just trying to think like how you could even get around with your regular life when you're dealing with like light issues. And well, the light stuff, I, I, I don't mean to, to stress that too much because it's the type of thing where it's like, I can't sleep. I have to sleep with blackout curtains, you know, or okay. I sleep with a noise machine and earplugs and like, and I, I wear earplugs when I ride the subway, you know, it's, it's not so severe. Okay. So this isn't like where you go out and it's like, um, people with migraines would know about this where you go out and it's right. like the bright and you just go vampire and just rush back inside and <laughs> curl up with like underneath blankets. Okay. So this is just, um, yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I just can't quite vocalize it. Mm-hmm. How did this affect your creative process? I know you said that for two years you were relying on um, Grindr as a distraction, but how did this affect us? Like, I, I don't say things I don't mean. I'm, I'm very blunt. And when I say I love your music, I'm seriously like fangirling right now. I'm a little Thank distracted you. because I like kept replaying the song. Um, has this like changed your creative process? So... Well, I'll talk. I'll talk about the Mayo Clinic experience. Oh, please! Uh, thank you. That was definitely on my like underlying list. I'm serious, people. I am on like massive drugs right now. Um, but the <laughs> but Mayo Clinic is I like. I can talk about the creative process first. No, no, go Mayo Clinic first, because that was like on my like underlying list. Ask him about Mayo Clinic. Yes. Um, because that's like the chronic illness people's idea of like club med. Like any of us who haven't gone, it's like that's the club med. That's the lottery that you're supposed to like get into. What? Break down for me what life is like at the Mayo Clinic. I mean, as a person who is a connoisseur of doctor's offices. <laughs> and Do we get to like start giving the like four or five star like Airbnb and like we can write like notes? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like ZocDoc or Yelp. Oh God, yeah, that's true. But I only think <laughs> like the Airbnb, they should start leaving us little gift baskets when we go in. Oh, yes. Oh, you think they should rate the patients? No, I think we should get to rate them. They should leave oh. us gift baskets like like Airbnb. Oh. They have like things. I would love if doctors' offices realize that they're probably our third or fourth appointment during the day, and we haven't eaten yet. Maybe if they could leave some wine bars, that could be nice. Just a little like hey, <laughs> mints would be great. I anything with calories would be fine. Yes, of course. Bottle of wine would be best. Mm. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Midday. <laughs> um. 
but yeah, it, it's an incredible facility. Uh, How did you get into it? How did you get referred by a doctor? How did this all work? So my mom grew up in the Midwest and okay. her mom was in the medical field. She was a nurse and then she was the head of a nursing department at a hospital. So she always knew about the Mayo Clinic. I mean, it was, she was in Wisconsin. It's in Minnesota. So just one state over. Okay. And, you know, both my parents were totally abreast of every appointment that I was going to, even though they lived three hours away in Massachusetts. Um, you know, I, I got to the point where every single one of my doctors was like, we have nothing left. And there was like a three month period where I was, I, I don't even really remember it that well, but you know, exploring, exploring all the weirdest things I could think of everything from like laser treatment to uh, medical marijuana and, you know, which is really hard to get in New York state. Is it really, you guys are still illegal? It's no, it's legal to get uh, medical marijuana, but it's super restrictive. Are you serious? I never would have thought that about New York. Oh, I literally knew. Oh my God, come to California. Like they deliver. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like they deliver. We have like, I think four in my little suburban town, we've got like four different dispensaries. Unbelievable. Where my my son is, it's like, they're like, we actually counted and there are more dispensaries than Starbucks. It was, yeah. No, I'm not, and that's, yeah. (laughs) Dying, I was laughing so hard. Oh my God. So it's like, yeah to get in New York? Yeah, I mean, we've had a we've had a Republican state Senate for about 10 years and they have stymied a lot of efforts. You know, there's so much that is not Republican or Democrat and um, people in agony is not a partisan issue. Environment, (laughs) by the way, is also not a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. That is insane. I like people suffering should be like beyond party lines that's crazy oh I'm so sorry you don't have easy access but ultimately you know I I still didn't have a diagnosis so it was just throwing everything at the wall and that didn't feel no but like the marijuana is like one of those things that's like it's kind of a catch-all it can make a lot of things better (laughs) better that when you don't have a diagnosis it's like I obviously don't want to be an oxy without a diagnostic so I can do this to just sort of patch this through until I can figure out what's wrong. Wow, so you've gone like four years without diagnosis. All of your doctors have said, mm, we're at the end of our rope. And yeah. <laughs> did they give you anything other than a, because ah, I'm at that point right now where all my doctors have just gone, ah, surgery maybe? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was exploratory surgery suggestions and I was like, I mean, every time I get a surgery, every time I, you know, have an injury, it just creates more chronic pain. So no, I'm not going to do that, you know? Uh, Yeah, I would definitely understand where you would be like, "Mm -hmm." so my mom being like the incredible woman that she is and and doing all this research for me uh, was like, I think, I think New York, I think we're done with New York as far as the doctors go. We got to, we got to, we got to, go for, you know, the, the top guns and look at the Mayo Clinic. And, wow. and I sent an, an application and they accepted me. Um, I went out there with my 400 pages of uh, <laughs> medical records from the last four years. <laughs> the word piece. <laughs> uh-huh. And they looked through all of them. Wow. <laughs> it was really amazing. And they were basically like, well, you really have ruled everything out. And here's the one thing that nobody has suggested. Okay. Sensitization. Wow. Okay. So what does that feel like when you hear that? Because that doesn't come with a, a rote cure or a rote prognosis. How did that feel when you finally got a name? Well, the way that they present it to you is actually in this four hour long seminar. They're like, you should go to this seminar. Uh, we think it'll be informative for you. <laughs> The ADD in me just like died a little bit with the idea. I would be like already drawing like 15 drawings before they got to the point and would have totally lost interest in anything. (laughs) But you've been waiting for answers for four years and 
right from the jump, they're giving them to you in this PowerPoint presentation. I That's like four hours. There are cocaine addicted gnats that have a better attention span than I have. I know four hours. I would have been like, you could just kill me by now. Like, that's fine. Like, just get to the point. Yeah. Oh, I, I have full respect for you being able to stay focused for that long. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, so they, they ended up suggesting, well, they basically said the only treatment that we can recommend is this three and a half week pain rehab program, which is like a multi-disciplinary uh, pain rehab program at the Mayo Clinic. And I ended up going back the next month to that program. And the crux of it is all mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. to essentially like manually rewire the brain. Okay. And, you, and, and also this extremely gradual desensitization where, you know, they started me off singing for five minutes a day, no matter how it felt. I had to sing, even if it was super painful, you just have to do it. And then you increase by one minute every day. Wow. Okay. It's like the frog in the boiling water. You just keep uh-huh. the temperature until it's bearable. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And so that got you to a, a good point. And I just have to ask, because you're an, a legal adult at this point, how were you able to be away from money-making activities for this long? So, I mean, I had savings and my parents helped me out a little bit. Yay, uh, parents. <laughs> parents are awesome. <laughs> at least yeah. the supportive ones. Good supportive parents. Are and my grandma helped me out a little bit too. Um, but I mean, I definitely spent the, I mean, for the four years, the bulk of the spending was, was all me. And wow. then it ended up, I mean, this is probably not going to sound like very much, but it was like probably eight to 10 grand. And I mean, it, obviously that's a lot of money, but I know people have spent a whole lot more on medical care. I think everyone who listens to the show understands that we are only speaking from like our viewpoint where we are in our lives with a very clear understanding that this is not the reality for everyone listening. So I, right. it, eight to 10,000 is, it's a lot, but I do know that, yeah, I, I spent that by February on my health stuff. Um, <laughs> so I, I definitely hear you, especially when you're, you're not at an age where you've built up a huge amount of savings or uh, no. a work savings or but, right. but I know at 22, I, that kind of money would have pretty much buried me. Yeah, exactly. So th- thankfully I, my ro- insurance was so robust when I was, when I went to the Mayo Clinic at 26 that they actually covered the whole thing. Oh my God. That's <laughs> real. That's surreal. Do you actually live on the campus at Mayo or do you go in and out? You go in and out. So okay. I, I, I stayed in uh, Airbnb, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I've been floating this idea forever, but I want Airbnb to start a subsidized program for people who have to yeah. go to places for, and we talked about this with Dawn who has to go for her amblyidosis, that they should have a subsidized way for people to go to, to trials and to clinics and mm. that so that people don't have to go broke trying to get help. And the McDonald house only works for certain people and they don't have enough of them. So it'd be really a great idea, Airbnb, to uh, rehab some of your image, which you need after the last two months. So mm. good. Mm-hmm. And you know, it wouldn't cost them anything because that's a tax subsidy. So True. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for them idea. not to be good people. <laughs> Just a little idea living out here near Silicon Valley, you know. <laughs> just yell it out the window. I, I, I yelled it to just about everyone at this point. Yes. I've been trying to get Uber to do this. I've been trying to get Lyft to do this, to get Airbnb to do these things. I mean, our government obviously is not going to step in and take care of sick people. We've decided that corporations are people, so I'd like our corporations to be nice people, good neighbors. <laughs> Make us not want to like go French Revolution. That'd be great. Sorry, I promise I wouldn't do this. I'm full I, agreement. I I didn't mean to, I'm not. <laughs> so I you're guess. living in an Airbnb. You're uh, yeah. going back and forth to the clinic. How many hours is the clinic? Eight hours a day. Oh my god! For how long? Three and a half weeks. I, I bow down to your uh, focus on this. <laughs> that is amazing. Did you really feel like that the cognitive behavior? therapy really worked for you? Was it, did it help you get to a place where you could function? Absolutely. And it, that's amazing to me. 
truly create like with the desensitization and the whole protocol and all the different mindfulness and relaxation techniques that they were teaching us. Like, I feel like I've essentially rewired myself in a lot of ways. I mean, it's the type of thing where every couple of weeks it sort of switches back. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would just forget everything I learned. That's, that's, that's very helpful that you'd be able to, like, at least, you know, you have a roadmap to get back to what works. And they, they plan for all that. They, they make you write out plans for difficult days and, you know, they send you back home with all these tools uh, to try every time that these types of things happen. So what's the most effective way that you found to get back to what works? What's the, your best tool for, I'm not saying that this is going to cure your pain, everyone. I'm just generally, what's your like touchstone thing that works? Well, sort of the new medication that they (laughs) prescribed in this program is diaphragmatic breathing, which is so. That's not going to kill you. That's awesome. There's no like, three-layer list of like all things that it's going to do to you. Mm-hmm. Diaphr- I did not believe in that until my physical therapist just got me doing it last week. So I thought it was just hilarious when I saw it on your, your thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. Seriously, look this up, people. It, it does not cure my pain, by the way. It really does just help me calm down enough so I can like go through a protocol and figure out what to do next. But that's mm-hmm. amazing stuff. It's really powerful. Does that and, happen when you're singing? I'm just curious. It's just teaching me like some circular breathing pattern. It's like if I could carry a note, like if my children didn't tell me to stop singing when I sing them lullabies, <laughs> this could have been helpful. <laughs> well, I actually kind of already knew how to diaphragmatic breathe because I would of think. <laughs> But it's the the voice was actually the hardest thing to work on in that program because it's the it's I mean, it's the most intimate thing for me, but it's also like a black box. You can't, you can't get the visual feedback that you can with your arms or your back and look at it and say, that doesn't look inflamed because I can't see my vocal cords or, you know, my tonsillar tissue or whatever. Um, it's, it's invisible. So it's purely mental. And, th- and that took me a really long time to get used to. And that's kind of the thing is um, it's all in your head. That's actually a problem. Like that's, that's, that's not saying that it doesn't exist. That's saying it absolutely exists, even with the mm-hmm. location. Like I, I find this just really frustrating when people say that it's like, like with um, CRPS or like um, the phantom limb pain, it's all in your head. Well, yes, but that doesn't stop it from being pain. That's, you know, or mental illness, that's still a huge thing that someone is dealing with and that requires um, care and a protocol. And you had touched on the mental illness. If you'd want me to stop on this, I swear I will not, I'm very, I will not touch on any red button issues that you have, but you you kind of broke my heart a little bit when I was reading about some of the the depression you had dealt with. Is that something you would like to talk about or should I? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open about all of it. I mean, you're a songwriter, you're almost like have to be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest things I've learned through all this and especially through all the art that I sought out when I couldn't make my own, which was namely like storytelling. God, yes. Yeah. Uh, Like live storytelling, storytelling podcasts, whatever. Um, I mean, you're probably a little young for it, but spoken word had this like big moment when I was in high school and like, I just got hooked on like Annie DeFranco and oh yeah, like Tori Amos's first album that was like, here's my diary in beauty. <laughs> like, I grew up going to, uh, this is a total tangent, but I grew up going to this festival called Falcon Ridge Folk Festival in upstate New York. And oh my a- God, I want to go now. <laughs> headlined <laughs> when I was nine. Ani DeFranco. Oh my God, you're killing me. You have no idea how much I'm in love with that woman. Oh, that's amazing. I, you, seriously, if you all want to hear what we're talking about, just Google Ani DeFranco. She just wrote a book. You will find her immediately. Um, but some of the best spoken word about everything. Yes. Like, she was like a no hold barred, like here's like any life experience just broken down. 
-hmm. which is helpful when you're like I know like there's stuff that they touched on about like she and um, Tori Amos both had a one about rape and that was like what got me through really awful experiences in high school was hearing someone say you're not alone and being brave enough to go here's like everything I'm feeling about this and it's that's what's so important about storytelling I mean that's that's one of the most healing things about storytelling is letting people know that they're not sitting in a room without anyone else. Yeah, exactly. So which you were listening to, like the story podcasts. And... I mean, and just learning, learning about the value of vulnerability. Oh um, my God. That is the most beautiful way to phrase that. That is, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, <laughs> that just like hit me. That's gorgeous. That is, we don't put a value on that usually. And I feel like, especially for anyone who presents as, as masculine or male, that's like one of the first things that gets stripped away from, from anyone who presents as male is that vulnerability. And it's such a sad thing. That's beautiful that you recognize that, that value of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, well, we can go into this later, but the <laughs> like implications of this experience were invaluable. So what did you do from there? Like how, where, where were you with your singing career at that point? So, uh, right. Two, literally two weeks before <laughs> I got tendonitis. Yes. <laughs> That's how this always works. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I released my first folk album, actually, because um, I make folk, I used to make a lot more folk music, I still make some. Um, and I had all these shows planned and I was playing a lot more uh, rehearsing for those shows. And that's what gave me the tendonitis. So, mm. you know, I wasn't able to perform then for pretty much at all, like maybe one song here or there at like a house party or whatever, um, but pretty much couldn't perform at all for all four of those years. Uh, so my career was completely put on hold. So that's the thing when you're working for yourself and you're not working for a company and you're doing something creative, it's, it's so hard to say no to anything because it's, mm -hmm. at least for me, as I, I was a photographer for years and I was always like, well, that could have been my big break or that could have had the one person who needed to see it, who could have moved me forward, could have been there at that event. And I would push myself to insane limits just because yeah. of that. What if that fear of missing out, like. And I did, I did do some vocal sessions. I sang on jingles during that period because they were short sessions <laughs> and I, and they were usually pretty easy, but I struggled through all of them. And but I couldn't say no because I mean it's money. Yep. And I mean I wasn't three freelance. Thankfully, I had a full time job, and I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't. I mean, part of me is so thankful that this happened before my before music. Uh, I mean, it's still not my bread and butter, but. Uh, if it had been at that time, I would have been destroyed. That's so interesting. It's like, I, I talked to people from like other countries and they have so many um, fail safes for people who, it gives them a way to start their own businesses or to pursue a creative endeavor because if they get sick, they're not going to not be able to afford their insulin or they're not going to be able to not afford like, yeah. there's it, and I just find it so funny in a country that we claim that we're capitalists and we claim that we're about innovation and yet we have no setup to make sure that people have a safe space to like really build something from. Okay, politics. Sorry, <laughs> I will. Mm. No more Twitter for me today. No, <laughs> must stay away from Twitter. <laughs> um, I I feel that impulse too all the time. <laughs> I, I, my husband has a rule for me, and it's I mean I shouldn't say it that way because we don't make rules for each other. It's just like. Yes. It's like you need to sleep. Um, no Twitter after 7 p.m. is like kind of a like. Good idea. It's like you just don't sleep. You get so agitated. <laughs> and I think the underlying is is you don't let me sleep because you are so agitated. Right. It's probably the fair, sweet way of him saying that. <laughs> it's like please stop this. <laughs> for the love of all is holy. Um. So when you're going through this, so you have like a full time job. I just wanted to get back to the mental health aspect of this mm -hmm. because. 
I cannot tell you how many emails I've gotten in the last three weeks of people emailing me at two in the morning talking about how lonely they are feeling and how they're done with chronic pain and um, just suicidal thoughts. And the last one that I got really broke my heart because I feel like that person reached out to a doctor in a way of just saying I'm desperate, not saying I'm going to kill myself, but just saying I'm not sure like where I'm at with something. And the doctor took it all the way over without like asking questions. And I just, I feel like there's so many of us who are like, we're scared to even like tell our doctors, we don't know how to deal with this pain. And if we don't use the right language, we can end up on a psych hold. And mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how you dealt with like all of this. You, it sounds like your parents aren't living near you, but I'm sure you, you could probably call, but how did you handle like mental health, depression and chronic pain and creativity? <laughs> Well, my mom is a therapist, which oh is extremely God. helpful. Ah, my father's a therapist. Another mm. child of therapists. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Aren't we fun? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I, I gained so much insight from her. I mean, can, I continue to gain so much insight from her. Um, and it helps me provide counsel for my friends and people around me. I never understood people who were like, oh, that must have been horrible. They were <laughs> always, you know, analyzing you. And I never felt that way. I think the only really bad thing I can say was like, there was, I, my dad's favorite story is like, it was like six or seven. And he was trying to get me to explain why I was behaving badly. And it had gone on for an hour and again, ADD. And I just asked him to spank me. I was like, can we just stop the talking and just like punish me already? Like, I don't know why I did this. I'm seven. Like, other than that, it was lovely. That's. <laughs> yeah. Fun times. <laughs> So were you able to talk to her about how you felt? Yeah, um, definitely. And I mean, the, 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 the deepest of the depression was right before the Mayo Clinic came into view. Wow. Because, you know, I, I mean, I made this like a part-time or a full-time job and a lot of people with chronic pain obviously know it that's like yeah it's the worst paying one too and the benefits yeah. suck <laughs> so you know yeah just going to four or five appointments a week and doing all these different treatments and I had been doing that for so long and then when that rug was essentially pulled out from under me when all these doctors said we have nothing left you know like all the energy that I had once put into music sort of was transferred into finding a cure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and when that pursuit was no longer, felt like it was no longer an option, I just felt completely useless. Wow. I, I, I just, I absolutely hear you and understand what you're talking about, but it's, it's a, for me, it was always just like, okay, this is it. This is the, this is as good as it's going to get. It will just get worse. And what, and when you have to redefine what your purpose is in this life, if your body is not allowing you to do what your purpose, you defined your purpose as being, that's, that's so hard. Yeah. So how I don't you think I let myself, I mean, up until that moment, I really hadn't allowed myself to do any redefining. Wow. <laughs> and maybe that what was, was part of what was subconsciously happening in that moment of, of sort of admitting defeat. Wow. That's, how did you deal with that? Like the admitting defeat? It's, it's, I mean, it's hard to describe. Part of me feels like I sort of blocked it out. <laughs> Um, hey, denial is not just a river in Egypt. It is a very useful tool sometimes. I deny that 45 is our president. Yes. <laughs> that only works for so long. <laughs> but it's just minute by minute, moment by moment. For moments, it can be blissful. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of self reflection and 
trying to be around people, not wanting to be by myself. Uh, Cause then the thoughts would come <laughs> up, you know, like. I don't mean to laugh. My sister just had this discussion with me. She called she it's a rabbit hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Call it, and we, yeah, we both had this discussion about how the deep, dark, scary when you're alone. Or just idle, you know, like I had to have like media going or just be doing something all the time to distract myself. Um, but then, you know, that was probably two or three months. And then when the Mayo Clinic came into view and I could spend the next six weeks collecting my hundreds of pages of medical records and following up with these 25 doctors and these 10 imaging facilities every week until they sent me my stuff. You You wanted something to do. There you go. Exactly. You are now not idle. Exactly. (laughs) So it became like this new, I mean, I I am a type of person who needs a project. Mm -hmm. Of course, like I know there are a lot of people like that. And uh, that was my project. Um, and once I went through the program and had that protocol to follow, like that was the new project. And, you know, like that, that gave me some purpose again. That's one of the things that I I worry about with people who aren't diagnosed is there's no protocol. And I feel like, I just feel this intense empathy for people who are really sick and there's no, there's no diagnosis. They're just undiagnosed feeling miserable. And it's like, there's some sort of, even if they're like telling you there's really nothing we can do, it's just most of my doctors, 98% of my doctors are like, well, enjoy your life. Um, But like, even having just the physical therapist give you like physical therapy exercises, it's like, I can, I can at least pretend that I'm going to get a little bit stronger or a little bit better with these. Like it really helps to have a name and have a protocol, even if it's like psychosomatic, which is mostly my case of like, I really think this is going to help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for you, how, how's this working with your creativity? Because I'm, I, again, blown away. Like I'm in love with your music. How, how is this working in with, are you using what your experiences are to sing or songwrite? Or is this a part of your, of your distraction process? That's 90% of why I draw is to not think about how much everything hurts. Well, at this point it's, uh, I mean, the, the, one of the primary things they teach you in the Mayo Clinic program is not to avoid activities if they're okay. if they're causing you pain if they're if they're increasing your symptoms you you don't want to avoid them you want to moderate them or you want to modify them that's so um, different than the usual advice which is it hurts stop stop right exactly which is and by the way do not sue us this is what worked for him this is what the mayo clinic said to do we are not advocating this we're just saying experience don't sue me okay sorry <laughs> i mean you it really only works if you can tell yourself whenever you experience the symptoms that absolutely nothing is wrong, that there's nothing actually wrong. I, I'm only smiling like this because it's, it's almost the same thing I have to do for my, but you can see, like if anyone's watching this on YouTube, you've probably seen my shoulder dislocate two or three times during this episode. Um, so like, I, I do see it. I just have to pretend like, it doesn't happen. Otherwise I would never leave my bed. Like right. my uh, femur dislocation, we still don't know how I did it. And the foot dislocations last night were because I stepped down. So sometimes with chronic illness, you do, if you, I mean, like I, sorry, uh, my lawyer sister's going to yell at me about this, but sometimes I just have to push through. And um, sometimes that just is a thing that, that people do is just push through and pretend like it's not, not going to be a problem so that you can do anything, something. Mm-hmm. So the weird thing about my condition is that it's actually stopping the activity is what increases the pain. Oh, wow. Um, You know, like when I got back from the Mayo Clinic, I had a couple, you know, big roadblocks that I had to get over um, where I'd have a 
an onset of of the symptoms like all over again and it felt like oh no this isn't working and all this all this effort that i've put into it is for nothing and and then you know i i stopped singing for another three months um and then having to desensitize myself again like start again from five minutes and work my way back up um knowing what happens when i stop uh i just have to keep going and the itsy bitsy spider of recovery of like getting up and then getting washed right back down that's probably mm -hmm. the most frustrating parts of it it's so scary because you know what the end game can look like yeah so we're getting really close to an hour is there anything that i have not covered that you wanted to talk about that i didn't touch on hmm I don't know. Do you do you have any lingering questions? <laughs> lingering questions. Um, I really wish I was clever enough right now to um, think that I have any current thoughts other than the rabid hamster that's like running around in my brain right now. I'm sure I would come up with a whole bunch more when I like sober up a bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes. Um, no, it's just I was mostly curious about how I'm always very curious when I'm talking to people who are younger who aren't um or people who aren't in stable relationships how how it is when you are trying to find someone or dating i'm always fascinated by dating with chronic illness because that was such a horrible thing when i was back in that world mm -hmm. i was curious how people are dealing with um relationships and chronic illness i mean it is it is interesting because like and that also goes over to friendships as well i mean i'm not just like I'm just always curious, is like, because dealing with this world where you, is so isolating with chronic illness, and like mm -hmm. trying to find friends, like even as an adult, a healthy adult, is really hard to do. Yeah. And then the question of like, I may or may not be where I say I might be, or I might drop off the face of the earth for three months. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like with romantic relationships i mean and really any any relationships now like i have this story about this thing that happened for four years and like i've i have gotten a handle on it you know in as much as i ever will um in a way that like i can do what i want to do for the most part um and I probably will have more instances where I get weird injuries or just weird medical stuff happens to me because it just seems to, I don't know, just a, not a lucky person when it comes to that. <laughs> but ultimately, like now I have a name and I have a way to describe it to non-medical profession, professionals. So it doesn't it's it's not so confusing anymore you know um uh the only thing that's getting in the way of dating at the moment is music which i'm totally happy about you know hey, like good reason for it yeah i mean like if i have too many you know shows or songwriting sessions or what whatever in a week to go on a date then Oh well. <laughs> well, know. I will selfishly say, please stop dating. I more music, more music, please. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm really excited too. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, it 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 weeds people out. In I know that can sound kind of harsh, but um, I think dating's harsh. I've <laughs> It's, um, yeah. I think it's helpful to be able to weed out people who aren't willing to deal or ready to deal. There's, there's no changing anyone. Right, right. I mean, it's just not something that happens. You don't actually get to change someone. So if they're not a person who wants to deal with that, it's probably a good thing to learn sooner than later. Mm -hmm. like, at least in my estimation. What did you say? I said at least in my estimation. Yes, I, yes. I got lucky and married my best friend. So that just made things so much easier. He had already seen all of it. He had already been yeah. there through all of the stuff we were friends. So it's just was so much, I really lucked out. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, ultimately, like, I'm always gonna have 
like this protocol that I have to follow and you, you like I can't I can't go to loud bars and in New uh, York that sounds like a problem <laughs> it is it is challenging and you know like I really need to watch my how much I drink and yeah there's like a lot of things I need to really focus on and if if somebody's not willing to uh, they don't need to do the all the, you don't need to do everything i'm doing or mirror what i'm doing but if they're if they're not willing to allow me that independence mm. in those moments then like how you know how can it work that's a really good point i mean i think so there's a lot of people like I feel like a chameleon. Like I will almost always do everything to make everyone around me comfortable. It's just a habit, and so it's really hard not to drink when everyone's drinking because it's like even if I shouldn't be, it's like but that would makes people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, like you're right, that's really important. Self care is to be like you got to be okay with with the protocol. You don't have to follow it, but I do. So yeah, yeah, it just can't be an issue. And with the cognitive behavioral therapy. Um... Sobriety just makes everything easier. Wow. And I'm not, I'm not. The only thing I can think of that would make that easier, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, But you know, if, if I'm having a, if I'm having a hard day, if I'm having a bad symptom day, then I know that I can't drink because I need to be on the ball. That's a really, I mean, I don't want to get too into it. We're not discussing, um, chemical dependency but it is a really interesting thing when you're having to switch that like i will not drink if i've had like if i'm depressed i refuse to drink mm-hmm. and it's like such a difference from like what a lot of my other friends are like oh my god i need a drink and it's like but you have to like switch that up because you you can't use that as your crutch because it will ruin other things for i mean yeah. i that's i was like that uh during the i mean it's funny actually i'm realizing that during those dark months uh, where I had nothing, I actually started, uh, that's what, that's precisely what I started making my own cocktails. <laughs> oh my. This new creative pursuit and I was infusing alcohol and I was like doing all this, like making up all these different drinks and it like, I could mask this like growing dependency in this new craft. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I, I hear you there. Mine's baking, but I, I absolutely <laughs> hear you. <laughs> if you've ever listened to Kuros, his husband makes the best cocktails ever and going through that house is a danger. But I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Like, it's easy to, like, you could put, apply that to anything, not even like alcohol. You can apply that to like sports or weightlifting or anything that you're using as a dependency that could be creative or could be healthy if it wasn't done to extremes. Like we're really good creatures at, at, um, uh, justifying things like making it like, Oh yeah, this is okay because, (laughs) 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 well, on that note, I think we've gotten to an hour and I would kidnap you for a much longer time. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we say, um, especially your website? Oh, well, I would love if people would, (laughs) check out especially my Instagram because that's sort of the uh, center of it all mm-hmm. where, where it all happens um, <laughs> which we are now following you invisible not broken is following you now yes yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so happy about that um, it's at Stefan Alexander but it's spelled a little funny it's s-t-e-f-a-n-a-l-x-n-d-r and if you did not write that down, don't worry. You just go over to Invisible Not Broken or you go to our show notes. And it's all going to be at the very top of that. It'll just be a clickable link so that you can follow Stefan and listen to music. And do you have like a Spotify thing or a SoundCloud thing? So just yes, send them over the to things. me. Uh, just send them to me. And at the very top, there will all be there. Right, Stefan Alexander on, on all platforms. And- <laughs> that was smart. <laughs> That'll make tagging you so much easier. Of course. And, and you know, like my, at this point, like I've realized that my chronic pain, it, you know, it's part of my everyday. So it's, it's part of my persona as a musician, you know, like it's, it's in, it's on, it's like the second line of my, of my Instagram bio (laughs) is chronic pain survivor. 
and because I want to, I want to talk to other people that, you know, are dealing with similar conditions. I want to be able to use my platform to help people and shed some light on this and hopefully provide some hope if I can. So that that's really the, it's become like a, a super important goal for me. That's a great goal. And I, I can tell you there's a lot of people who will be really happy to, to hear this and to hear your music and to know that there's someone else dealing with this. Totally. totally. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been such a pleasure. <laughs> oh my gosh. I really wish I was more alert for this. Um, I, I'm going to be very sad when I listen to this again to edit it. No, no, no. What were you thinking? Why didn't you ask these other questions? Um, so thank you for being patient with me. I really appreciate that. Uh, everyone, if you want to do nice things for the podcast, the nicest thing you can still do is to go over to Apple uh, Podcasts, I think it's called now. They stopped calling it iTunes. Um, you guys know it's a little like Apple thing. Um, say nice things, put stars. If you want to say mean things, we got it. I'm shrill. Um, that's been said enough. If you have other things you would like to say about that you want me to change, feel free. I do read all comments. I know it's an awful habit. Um, and uh, but you can also send me emails too if there's things you'd like to ch um, change or things that you're um, annoyed with me about. I do read those as well and I have changed some things that people have brought up. Um, so please feel free to say hello. Um, I think that's about it. I'm going to stop talking now and go curl up in a ball. Uh, so <laughs> be kind, be gentle, and be a badass and tune in next week.